leave you nor forsake you. This is a tremendous time of year. It's springtime. Um, and as we look forward, the time between Passover and Pentecost is a very fruitful, productive time in the church. And we know that um, Christianity was built on the foundation of the Hebrew religion. And it builds on that foundation of the revelation of God of, to who he is. And as ways of reminding and celebrating his presence, he set up a series of annual feasts for the Hebrews in the Old Testament. Two of those were Passover and Pentecost. To give you a little bit of the um, idea of the significance of these things, <clears throat> Passover seven days. Pentecost is 50. On um, Pentecost is a harvest festival. It's seven weeks long, and it's called, sometimes in the Old Testament, it's called the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks because it's a long, lengthy festival. For the church, the significance comes in this. In John chapter 12, Jesus looking forward to the cross. <clears throat> this is right after the triumphal entry. So it's during the last week of his life. He's in the temple. And some Greeks come. These would be God-fearer Gentiles. And they are asking to speak to Jesus. And one of the things that Jesus tells them is this. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So what's going to take place is that Jesus coming to die on the cross, to bear our sins, he is telling them and telling us that he is that seed. And he is coming as a seed to die in order to produce many lives. And that's what he's looking forward to in the sense of this is what's coming within the, that particular week. It was an interesting thing. They, um, as they were doing some archaeological work in Egypt, they opened up some of these tombs and they go in there and these things have not been opened um, from present day, some, some of them 5,000 years have never been opened. And they went into some of these things and they found um, in some of the votive offerings that they buried with the, um, with the people in the tomb, they found some seeds. Now these seeds were 5,000 years old. They stayed in the dark, in that dry, arid climate, and um, they were still good seed. They planted those seeds in the ground and they grew and produced fruit. Five thousand years old but the kernel just sat there in the dark for five thousand years dormant didn't do anything didn't accomplish anything but they took those seeds and planted them in the ground and when that seed died it produced fruit after five thousand years many of us as Christians have the seed of the presence of Christ in our hearts it's never going to grow and produce fruit until we die to self and allow the life of Christ to grow and produce his fruit in us. 
This began with what Jesus was doing here. It planted and died. And so that's what was taking place there at um, that first Passover. Jesus was crucified on Friday. Like the seed, they put him in the ground. And three days later, on the first day of the week, after the Sabbath rest, Jesus rose from the dead and the fruit was being produced. And he's been producing fruit in lives, transforming people ever since. That's what Jesus was saying. So Passover is that one week culminates for us as Christians with the death of Jesus Christ. It's essential. It has to come. Otherwise, we are still in our sin. It has to take place. Otherwise, we are lost and without hope. But because of, God, of Christ and what he has done for us, paying the price for our sin, rising again to help us understand that through him and through his shed blood, our sins have been forgiven. And he's given us a chance to start our lives over again, knowing who God is. Now living for him instead of living for ourselves. So it's interesting. Uh, most of this you'll find in Leviticus chapter 23. It talks about it in Numbers, Deuteronomy as well, but um, pretty much get a thumbnail sketch here in Leviticus chapter 23. Harvest. It's a feast of harvest. It's called also called first fruits. To the Israelites. I don't know what's happening here. When you enter the land, I'm going to give you, and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord, so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. So Passover takes place, remembering how God passed over the Israelites who had the blood on the doorpost and lintel. When the angel of death saw the blood, the death angel passed over those people and they were spared. It brought deliverance and salvation for them, relief from oppression and bondage. And that's what they're celebrating on the Sabbath. That's a Saturday. So the first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath, is when Pentecost begins, the Feast of Weeks. Pentecost itself is the final day, but it's the, the Feast of first fruits begins. On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice a burnt offering to the Lord, and he tells you what it is. And you must not eat any bread or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. And so he says, from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf to the wave offering, count off seven full weeks, count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath. This is why Jesus rose on Sunday. He's the first fruit of the kingdom of God. He's the first one. And Paul talks about him as that. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Jesus rose from the dead. Paul refers to Jesus as the first fruits of those who died. He was the first to rise from the dead who will never die again. He showed us 
what is going to take place in our hearts and in our lives. For those of us as Christians, he's telling us, you don't have to fear death, this is what's coming. Life that never ends. Life that has no regret, no fear, no pain. Life that's filled with the presence of the glory of Christ. So this first offering, the day after the Sabbath of Passover, the beginning of first fruits, the wave offering, is, it's, a, um, it's the barley harvest. Of all the crops that they plant, uh, barley is the first, and then comes the wheat and the spelt and, and so on down as you go through the, the harvest season. But at the beginning, the very first crop that they're going to bring in is the barley harvest. So this is a time of, of a lot of activity. It's a time of great joy because it's the feast of ingathering. And then 50 days later, after seven weeks, on the day after the Sabbath, that would be another Sunday, is the day of Pentecost, the first day of the week. And as we know in the church, that's when the Holy Spirit came. So the Feast of Weeks begins, um, beginning of the harvest, of first fruits, 50 days later, when the harvest is complete, you have Pentecost. Now at Pentecost... You have some special things going on because you've worked and you've got the whole barley harvest is in now. And so that first crop is in. It's been gathered. And so there's great rejoicing. And so what they do then is from wherever you live, bring two loaves made from two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Now, this is something unusual because, uh, as you know, for the Hebrews, during the Feast of Passover, there's to be no yeast or leaven. Leaven uh, oftentimes becomes a symbol of sin because it has to do with uh, the yeast fermenting the dough and helping it to rise. So anything having to do with fermentation, the Jews consider it unclean because it, uh, it, it's a form of corruption as they view it. So yeast becomes a symbol of sin oftentimes, not always, but often. So during Passover, they go through their house and they get rid of all of it. And um, they make a careful search of all the cupboards and go through all the spices and stuff to make sure that there is no yeast and it's only unleavened bread that they're going to offer. But now, they're invited to bring these loaves made with yeast. And so that which is unclean has become clean because of what Christ has done for us. And he presents these before the Lord, and then they have a much larger offering. And it's a rejoicing in the abundance of the harvest. They have this wave offering of the bread of the first fruits. It's much larger uh, celebration, much many, many more sacrifices. They call a sacred assembly. And as we remember from Joel chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of, the, of God was poured out on all flesh. Everybody. Men, women, young, old, uh, rich, poor, didn't make any difference. God poured out His Spirit upon all. And as you read through the book of Acts, um, Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, was just the down payment. Later on, 
God is going to take uh, Gentile people like Cornelius, the Roman centurion in his household, and God is going to pour out his Holy Spirit on them in the exact same way that he did the disciples in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And so the Spirit was poured out upon all flesh. Again, Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 23, he speaks about this. He's been talking about how God is, because he has sent his Spirit into us, Spirit of God, we have been transformed and it's, we've become children of God. And he says the Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's the witness of the spirit that God has indeed transformed us. Our sins are forgiven. He's filled us with his spirit. He's now working in us and through us to his glory and honor. And there's communion taking place. That means that we're talking to God, but God is talking to us. It's not a one-way conversation. What he has to say to us is far more important than what we say to him. As we come before him, as he's invited us to do, he knows what our needs are before we ask. But he invites us to come. But I tell you, one word from the Lord is worth all the words I could ever say. Because when he speaks, it's a creative word. It's a transformative word. It's a healing word. It's a restoring word. It's a word that is, brings hope and promise and peace. Situations may not change. Circumstances may not change. But what changes is us because of his presence in us. And when he changes us, then that changes everything. Uh, situations and circumstances may be exactly the same, but we approach it differently. And we look at them differently. We look at ourselves differently. And we look at one another differently. And that's the important part. So Paul says in Romans 8.23, he's talking about how Jesus groans and intercedes for us sitting at the Father's right hand. He talks about how all of creation itself, because it was subject to people from the very beginning, because people were created in the image and likeness of God, we were his representatives here on the earth to care for the earth and help it produce and help it to be beautiful and all the other things. And so when Adam and Eve fell, when they sinned against God, the curse that fell upon them fell on everything they touched. And so as you know from Genesis 3... Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, the ground, the earth itself, was placed under a curse. So in Romans 8, Paul says that all of creation, all of creation is groaning and travail, waiting for people to get right with God. That's what they're waiting for. And so he says, creation is groaning. Jesus is praying for us. The Holy Spirit is groaning for us with words that cannot be expressed. And he says in verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves, Christian people, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. And he talks about the hope that that brings. And so what Paul is saying is that as Christian people, we are participating in the first fruits. What God is doing in transforming people's hearts and lives is the beginning 
of the completion of the harvest that God has set. Harvest time has already begun. Remember, this is what Jesus told the disciples when he was walking on the earth. Uh, you say three or four months yet until the harvest, and he says, wait a minute, I'm telling you, the harvest is now. It's not coming in the future. It's now. And it's now. And we are to be participators in the harvest. We have the first fruits. We have received the beginning of the harvest in sending his spirit to bring reconciliation to God. So Pentecost is both the fulfillment and the promise. It's the fulfillment because it brings that work of Jesus' death and resurrection. He's telling us in John 16, he told the disciples in the upper room, he's telling them that he's going to go away. They're still not getting the picture yet. And this is, he's going to tell them partly why in verse 7. I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor who will, come to, will not come to you. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so Jesus is saying that um, it's essential for the disciples. If they're going to be filled with the Spirit, it's essential for him to go and send him. And John has told us already that the Holy Spirit hadn't yet come because Jesus had not yet been glorified. It's based on the, on the blood of Christ, cleansing and forgiving. Because when the Spirit comes, we need to remember He's the Holy Spirit. And we are not. And if the Holy Spirit came to unholy people, we would die. And this is why all throughout the Old Testament, when these guys got visions of God or visions of angels, they thought, oh no, that means I'm about to die. (laughs) I saw this angel, I'm going to die. And so immediately when God is sending these angels to these guys, he's telling them, first thing they say, peace be unto you. Don't be afraid. Not your time yet. It's time, but it's time for you to do something that God has for you. So, Jesus, first thing he says when he raises from the dead, peace be unto you. He's letting us know. And he's promised us that if he he told us, if I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to send my spirit. And he will teach you about Christ, take the words of Christ and apply them to our hearts and lives. He will show us the things that Jesus was not able to tell us because we weren't in a position to receive them. And the Holy Spirit takes that and builds on it. So the first day of the first fruits of the Spirit is on Pentecost. In Romans chapter 11, and this is the key, in Romans 11, Paul is talking about the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. And he's reminding the Gentiles because by this time, there's becoming significantly more Gentiles in the church than there are Jews. Uh, remember, in the early days, early chapters of Acts, almost all the Christians, early Christians, were Jewish. And it was only after the persecution when they began to scatter that God really opened the floodgates of the doors to the Gentile people. And they came. And they're still coming. And um, it's an incredible thing when you preach the gospel to people who have never, ever heard 
there is an immediate response. Um, they hear the word of God and something in them witnesses this is the truth, this is the word of God and they come. Um, just as an aside, since Jake was here uh, earlier in the year, he's been able to speak to two different groups of, of uh, imams and sheikhs there in South Africa, in uh, Uganda. And um, so that's over 50 of them and there's more scheduled. So these, uh, these Muslim teachers, Muslim pastors, if you will, are very hungry to know who Jesus is. And when they hear the word, they're beginning to respond. It's an incredible thing. And he's been going up in the um, mountains there where they, they haven't uh, ever heard the gospel before. And when they hear the gospel for the first time, their immediate response is, where have you been? We've been waiting and looking, longing for this our whole life. It's an incredible thing. And so that's what was taking place here in the book of Acts. And so Paul is reminding them that the church is built on the foundation laid through the prophets and through the patriarchs of the Old Testament. And the Gentiles are the relatively newcomers into this experience of walking with the Lord. And if they really want to know and understand what it means, they're going to have to spend time in the Old Testament because what God began there, he continues on into the new. He builds on it and takes it further. And so he says in Romans 11 verse 16, He's talking about the Jews and he's saying through their rejection the door was open to the Gentiles and he says if, in, in verse 15 if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy that's Jesus then the whole batch is holy that's you and me. Our holiness is based on his presence. He is holy. If he is in us, we become holy with his holiness. And he says, if the root is holy, so are the branches. Remember John 15. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If the root is holy, it produces holy branches. You and I are the branches. We are holy because the root is holy. And the branch takes what is produced by the root and it turns into fruit. And so we receiving from the Lord life, wholeness, peace, and joy. And it should be producing fruit in our lives. So the book of James, he also is referring to this very thing, this feast of first fruits this Pentecost that brought an awareness of a new relationship with God based on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. James chapter 1, verse 18. He's talking about God and he's talking about all the good and perfect gifts that come from him. And he says in verse 18, He chose, God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So the earth, all of creation is groaning in travail, waiting for the revelation 
the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God, waiting for people to get right with God. Paul, Peter, Jesus, James, they're saying we are the first fruits of that. We are the witness to the rest of creation and the rest of the people around that God has sent his spirit for redemption and wholeness. So what does that mean? It means that we are participators in the hope, the promise, the beginning of the harvest because Pentecost is coming. So Pentecost is the final day of the harvest. That's when the harvest is complete and that's when the, the celebration, it's a holy, sacred assembly. Pentecost is coming. So the first Pentecost, on, when Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit on all flesh, that's first fruits. And those people who were ushered in, those 2,000, those were the wave offering. And there's coming a fulfillment of that harvest. Scripture, Old Testament speaks about it repeatedly. There's coming a time when um, the Lord returns that the pouring out of his spirit is going to be far greater than what took place on that initial Pentecost. It's coming. It's coming. And we are participators in that. Let's pray. Father, we come to you with thanksgiving and praise for the promise, the hope, that even we can be participators in what you are doing that by your grace and your mercy expressed through your Son, you've reached out and included us. And for that, we give you thanks and praise, glory and honor. And we ask that you, your name would be lifted up. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and your goodness. And we ask, Lord, that as we go through dark days ahead, that there would be an anticipation, an expectation, a holy looking for your activity to be increasing in us and then through us. Help us to be sensitive to your leading. Help us to have obedient hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In our church, um, we have communion every Sunday, as you know. It's a celebration, a weekly celebration, a remembrance of what Christ has done for us. And it's a, um, anyone who, who is a visitor here, I want you to know you're welcome. We have open communion here because the first communion that took place was in the upper room. There were 12 men, all of whom were going to betray or deny Jesus that very night. They were sinful men. They loved the Lord, but they were sinful people. And so communion is for sinful people. That's what it's for. All of us were just sinners saved by grace. So we come acknowledging our sin asking for cleansing and forgiveness, um, receiving from the Lord forgiveness and hope and relationship. Uh, most, used to be anyway, really good family time communication was centered around the meal times. It's when you talk about your day, what's going on. That's what this is for. We're communing in the presence of the Lord. Reminder that on the day that Jesus rose... On the road to Emmaus, it was when he sat down to eat and Jesus broke the bread again that they realized who he was. His presence had been with them all along and they hadn't been aware of it. But when he broke the bread, 
their eyes were open and they saw Jesus for who he was. And they knew he's risen from the dead and he is here with us. So, communion, that's the basis of first fruits. It's the promise of Pentecost. So Jesus is the kernel of wheat that died. Pentecost is the fruit that was produced. So you've got this 50 days that's going on here. So what happened in the scripture during the resurrection and the day of Pentecost? Was it just downtime? Well, no. What it says is Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So we're in the in-between times right now. We're in between the beginning of the first fruits and Pentecost. It's not a downtime. It's not a time to sit back and relax because what's taking place from that first Sabbath to that next um, first day of the week, 50 days later, is harvest. That's what's going on. People are working. They're working hard. They're gathering in the harvest. Jesus said, you say three or four months, today, today. And the context in John's gospel was John chapter 4, the woman at the well. These were Samaritans. These weren't even Jews. And as that woman went back and told the village what was going on, the whole village came out to see this man. And so Jesus is outside there by the well with the 12 disciples and he looks up and here's these Samaritan villagers making their way through the, through the fields. They're coming. Jesus said, I'm telling you, today is harvest time. The fields are ripe unto harvest. And a strange thing, they asked him to stay and he stayed in a Samaritan village. At the end of that time, they said to the woman, now we know who he is, not because of your testimony, because we have seen and heard ourselves. That's what's going on. It's harvest time. And Jesus shows himself to these men by many convincing proofs, not once or twice, repeatedly over this period of, of harvest. And he spoke to them. What did he speak about? The kingdom of God. That's what he spoke about. He didn't talk about institutions. He didn't talk about organization. He talked about the kingdom of God, which is a living presence of the Lord. The kingdom is wherever the king rules. We're part of it. And that's what he was telling them who they were and what they're here for. And so it's harvest time. We should be actively participating and gathering the harvest because the day of Pentecost is coming when we offer them up to the Lord. So that's based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it's, he is the king that we proclaim when we proclaim the kingdom of God. And so he invites us to come and participate in that this morning. It's possible for us today because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, it's broken for you. He's the bread of life and he's the broken loaves that are presented before the Lord. 
After supper, he took the cup, and after he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Each of you drink from this cup. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. It's the forgiveness of our sins, but not just ours. It's the forgiveness of the people that we have difficulties with. People who've sinned against us, it's the forgiveness of their sins as well. And we cannot forgive anyone until we ourselves have been forgiven. And once we understand deep within our hearts that Christ has forgiven me, my deepest sin, how can I not forgive those around me? If I think their sin is too great, it's because I haven't understood how great my sin is. And once I understand that Jesus' blood cleanses and frees me from that, I can be free to forgive someone else, but not until. So we invite you to come. Christ invites you to come. Humble ourselves, confess our sins, and receive from him that which no one else can give. Forgiveness and cleansing and wholeness. Will those serving communion please come forward?